Hello, this is Karen Strassman. Oh, hi. It's good to see you. Welcome to Corpse Run Radio. This is Corpse Run Radio. We are the Forsaken. We are the Forsaken. Ours is a podcast of the Forsaken. I am your leader, the Banshee Queen, the Dark Lady. Hello and welcome everyone to Cops Run Radio, episode 110. My name is Grant Nagus. Today we will be talking about some mounts and how to get them, specifically alpacas. Hazel from Hazelnut Games has a little guide to share with us how to get the three alpacas, although I must say without the visuals from her video it lacks a little information but you can always after you listen to the show go to her video the link to the segments are as always shared in the show notes you can go there and watch it as with any of the segments that have additional visual info go and watch the locations where the alpacas spawn, the various ones. I just thought that it might be interesting for you to get a audio sneak peek to the content and for the people that didn't know how to obtain them, this is a little teaser, so to speak. At least that's how I look at it. Additionally, we have Matt's season show with his thoughts on 8.3, the retail game, but he's going to go into all of that stuff. I think it's a balanced, well thought out critique of the patch and the fact that people have different expectations from the game and thereby having different viewpoints as to how they view the content how they perceive the content's quality for whatever playstyle they have. I think it's always nice to have different opinions as basis for your own opinions to make them up or to validate or to say I don't agree, which is totally fine. Every person has the right to have their own opinion. Also, we have a segment by Noble, a lore segment about Rokan, the Dark Spear Chieftain, and we have a song, the newest song by Charm called Nyalotha, as well as a top 10 list. This time, Hero Marodex has picked a top 10 list of things that were in the client or are still in the game client but not in the game, which is interesting to see the little hints at least that's my opinion, of how the game, I don't want to say was supposed to go, but the options they had and the choices they didn't go with, but they still recorded audios, for example, and they crafted, created zones or 
sub-zones, like little islands or battlegrounds, dungeons, whatnot. That's just examples where they chose to not use them or use them in a different way. Yeah, that's basically what we have for you today. We are going to start with Matt's season show and his segment that is called The Current State of WoW. So here is Matt's season show. Hey guys, what's up? Mad Season here, back with another video for you. That's right, a current video this time, which might come as a shock, as the channel has been mainly classic for the past several months. I always say that I'll give current a legitimate try whenever they release a new patch or expansion. So in this video, I just wanted to give a quick rundown on the state of current, primarily focusing on 8.3 since it's new. So, its major features, and what I feel are advantages and disadvantages. Just as a perspective, this is coming from someone who's played the game from release to today. Not as much current today since Classic came out, since I personally prefer that. So maybe if you're in similar shoes and you haven't had the chance to check out current, this video might be helpful to you. So, 8.3. The final patch of BFA, which was confirmed recently. No new content until the next expansion's pre-patch, which is of course Shadowlands. Let's get this out of the way first. BFA has been a rocky expansion to say the least. In my opinion, not quite on the level of Draenor like some would have you believe, but still, it's had its troubles, which I won't dwell on right now. That's because this video is about 8.3. I think the best way to do this is to go over each new feature one by one, and make some comments, and at the end give an overall opinion on how it's looking. So, the patch is about two weeks old by the time that this video is released, so we officially have everything unlocked. The story has advanced, you have more quests in your main campaign. Although this video will have spoilers, I won't go too much into this to avoid as many as possible. Plus, anything story related is really a subjective thing anyways. One thing I will say though, is I just find it funny that Magni gave my character this quest. Yeah, well you know that all-powerful, all-seeing Cthulhu old god that's been rampaging the entire world as we know it? How about you just go take him out real quick? What's the reward, I hear you ask? Well, an insurmountable villain requires astronomical rewards, and it's just Azure power. Well, he called me champion, I guess, so... That's all I need. But through the story, you unlock the Nazath assault system. Every week, two zones, Aldum and the Vale of Eternal Blossoms, will come under assault by Nazath. Here you can do some daily quests, daily objectives, and kill daily rares for some Azurite chests, a weekly world boss, and some new currencies which we'll talk about later. And daily, you'll also be able to enter what is called a vision of a certain area of that zone. Basically, it's a premonition of what the world would be like had Nazath succeeded. You go here and, uh, click 10 civilians to save it I guess? Whew, good job everybody. I'm gonna call this area saved. In addition to all of this, you also have the minor assault in the opposite zone of the major assault. Basically the same thing. Daily quests, daily objectives, daily rares. It's just missing the weekly world boss and that daily mini vision. I keep saying vision though, so what are these exactly? Well, you have the mini ones like I explained, but the main event are the horrific visions. 
Unlocked through those story quests, in the Chamber of the Heart, you'll be able to spend the new currency that you've been obtaining on keystones to enter what are called horrific visions. These are on a much grander scale, taking place in the heart of your faction's capitals, or Grimara Stormwind. You have a special meter called Sanity, which drains slowly over time, or when you get hit, and there are several objectives per vision for you to complete. The more you complete, the more rewards you get, but the more risky it is, as these areas are typically more dangerous, with special negative affixes, or increased sanity decay. As you can see, when you enter this area of Stormwind, you get this annoying debuff that makes you jump randomly. The vision is considered completed when you kill the faction leader, which is Illyria for Stormwind and Thrall for Horde, and the setting changes week by week. And, to increase the difficulty and rewards even further, there are these hidden masks that you can also unlock. To make your time easier, after successful runs, you'll get a currency which you spend on a skill tree to increase your ability to stay sane while inside the vision. Outside of the new raid, this is the new major draw of 8.3, and what Blizzard is hoping to hook players with. Again, I have some stuff to say about this, but for now, I'll let you gather your own thoughts, and I'll explain mine at the end. The main reason to do them is to upgrade your legendary cloak. Again, unlocked through the story quests, and aside from just having a high eye level, this also helps you stay sane while inside the vision. After each successful run, you're given an item to upgrade the cloak by one rank, and at certain tier, it upgrades in ability and looks. So, it's another form of character progression, really. You have your normal gearing, your azurite and essences, and now a cloak. And another new thing is Corrupted Loot, which is taking the place of Titan Forging. Basically, certain pieces of gear are corrupted, and you get a nice bonus affix, but it also increases your corruption meter. The higher meter you have, the more severe penalties you get. For example, at Tier 1 Corruption, you'll randomly get a movement speed debuff, and at Tier 2, there's a chance that an eye will spot next to you and deal damage if you're too close, and so on. So the goal is to create this yin-yang of getting more and more powerful with more corruption, but also balancing that with detrimental effects. Because of all of this, they've removed Titan Forging and War Forging from Season 4 items in the game to reduce some of the random nature of the loot. And of course we have the new raid, Nihilotha. This is where it gets to be a bit too spoilery, so I won't go too much into this. There's really not a whole lot to say though. It's a new raid tier. And that's 8.3 in a nutshell. I said that I'd share my thoughts on all of this now that I've had some good playtime in, so here's the opinion part of the video. I know opinions are really scary, but I think we'll survive. But if you're afraid of them, you can stop this video now, or continue on knowing this and complain anyways. Hey, it's a free country. Well, overall, I like the patch. I've been having fun with it so far. I'm not sure how much long-term appeal it'll have, which I'll explain in a bit, but for now, I'm having fun with it, and it's been a while since I've been able to say that about Current, which makes me happy. Yes, despite the voice, I promise you that I am capable of emotion. I've always considered myself an optimist, so let's start with the positives. The new raid, as they always are, is impeccable. Say what you want about BFA, or Legion, or hell, even Draenor. The raids in current World of Warcraft are top-notch. Each boss brings a unique challenge to the table, and with the re-release of Classic, you can really see just how far they've come in terms of boss design, since we now have that direct comparison. My favorite is this one, where your raid gets two different debuffs that lets you see certain enemies, and you have to find the one that everyone sees. If you kill the wrong one, you wipe, 
and it's hectic because there's some constant damage going out throughout the entire phase. Rathian is pretty fun as well. I like how every dragon fight retains echoes of the past from old school raiding. Here you can see he retains his infamous tail swipe that knocks players back. Luckily, no whelps to worry about in this one, so your DKP is safe. No matter what criticisms you can draw from BFA, or current World of Warcraft in general, you'll be hard pressed to find anything to complain about in the boss design in the raids. It's unmatched in my opinion. And just aesthetically, Nihilotha is their best yet I think. You're totally drawn into the atmosphere, and it's quickly becoming one of my favorite raids. But moving on to the visions, these are alright. The way that they work and how you can choose to be risky for higher reward and uncover new areas is fun. There's also lots of stuff to discover and side objectives to investigate. My main worry though is for how long these will be fun. Inevitably through cloak upgrades and that skill tree, I'll have seen all of what they have to offer and eventually just overpower them I'm sure. Inevitably my cloak will max out and I'll have no reason to do them aside from the convention of it, which with the former point doesn't seem to me they'll have any sort of longevity, and assuming we're following the release schedule of previous expansions, they're banking on people keeping themselves occupied with this for a long time. BFA and Legion released in August, so assuming the same is true for Shadowlands, that's about 7 months of 8.3 content, which I wager just after a couple of months most of the players will have exhausted. But uh oh, wait a second, you do get gear from these. Depending on how many side objectives you do, you can get anywhere from 420 to 470 split up into these tiers, but only once a week. If you do the full clear and all of the masks, you only get rewards for that once as it's a weekly lockout. So there is a reason outside of the cloak to do them, which leads me to my next point though. Just how much have I said the words daily and weekly in this video? A negative I feel with 8.3 is that it's adding even more daily and weekly stuff on top of an already astronomical amount of daily and weekly stuff. Let's entertain this actually. Just how much daily and weekly stuff is there in BFA? We have daily world quests on 7 zones now, a daily emissary, daily quests in Mechagon, daily quests in Nazjatar, daily quests in the 2 assault zones, along with the daily mini vision. You have your daily mission table missions, your daily warfront contribution quests, and if you control the warfronts, daily quests in two more zones, a daily faction incursion, being generous there since they're actually every 16 hours, and as for weekly we have the island expedition bar, world bosses in several zones, I think 5 total. We have base BFA, two warfront bosses, Nazjatar and the Nazoth assault I think. We have two warfront scenarios on two difficulties and the latest raid on four difficulties. We have the weekly greater assault bar, your weekly PvP chest and your call to arms dailies, and your weekly mythic plus chest of course, and your weekly adventure guide quest. And if you're outnumbered, your weekly against overwhelming odds PvP quest. And now with the visions, you have your weekly gear on multiple tiers. Is this it? There's so much I've honestly lost count. Feel free to add to this if you think I missed any. And before you make the argument that, well, you don't need to do all of this stuff, my counter to that is, yeah you don't, but with the Azerite system and virtually all of this stuff giving you Azerite power, along with the fact that Titan Forging being present in 80% of the game's run so far, you're inclined to. That's current in a nutshell. You're inclined to do all of this stuff so you don't fall behind. 
To me, it's like doing chores, and that's what all my friends call it. Hey, you do your chores yet? No, not yet. I feel like daily stuff has its place within reason, but at a certain point, it's just feeding into engagement metrics to fool naive shareholders into believing that the game is healthy. You'll be hard-pressed to find people who'll say that they want to do these dailies, instead of saying that they have to do these dailies. Just pay attention to the nomenclature of your friends the next time you log in. Whenever they mention any daily activity, you'll hear the words have to more often than you'd think. I mean, let's do a quick survey. Who here likes the fact that the entire game is based around giving you menial daily chores to complete with the constant threat of falling behind on your back? Like this one, run a line to make a shape. It's not difficult in any way. There's no real thought to it. It's not fun, at least to me. It's just an excuse to get you to fly all the way out here to complete your daily quest for your carrot. It's like saying here, draw a triangle in MS Paint. Good. Fun, right? To me, it's not good game design. There are ways to keep players wanting to come back without stringing a carrot on a stick in front of them and giving them the idea that if they don't keep up, they're punished. It's the design philosophy of mobile gaming. The only thing they're missing is, oh my god, they've actually done it. Well, at least they're not trying to hide it. It's why, in my Is Classic Casual Friendly video, I say that I think Classic is more casual friendly than current. It's because there aren't 5,000 daily and weekly things to bait you into this gerbil-like routine of 9 million daily chores. And hey, tripling the active subscriber amount on the game's release is a pretty hard thing to argue against. For BFA, it's too late. All of this stuff is already tied to the game, there's no really changing it. My only hope is that they put the player before the shareholder in Shadowlands and focus more on making a better overall game rather than slapping a band-aid on a gushing wound in the form of daily and weekly busy work. All in all, I am enjoying 8.3. I just don't know for how long. I think the game as a whole today relies too heavily on daily and weekly stuff to keep engagement metrics up, and 8.3 adds on top of this even more daily and weekly stuff. It's something that worked for a while, probably throughout Wrath or maybe early Cataclysm but has really caught up to them over time, as it seems to be the only way that they can keep people playing nowadays. And before you lay into me for sharing my opinion, I'd like to address the state of Current on the channel. As you may have seen, there really hasn't been a lot of coverage on Current in recent months. Ever since Classic released, in fact. The reason is simple. I've just been enjoying Classic more, so I've been playing it more. That's not to say it's perfect. It has many flaws, that's for sure. But when I noticed that the channel was starting to grow, and I started to put more time into it, I said that I would stop if it ceases to be fun for me. I've been on YouTube for a long time. I've seen the rise and fall of seemingly unstoppable giants, and the one thing that they have in common is whatever flame they had when they started, they lost, and the videos became something they'd make just for the sake of making them, rather than from a place of passion or enjoyment. I don't cover current too much these days, because I kind of fell out of it. BFA really burned me, and since then, I haven't really had the drive to really make videos about it. For me, it would be forcing things, which would be disingenuous to myself and to you as well. Honestly, if Classic didn't release, I think I would have moved on from the game by now. All that being said though, I'll always give Karen a shot. Just as I've done with 8.3, I'll do the same with Shadowlands whenever that releases. In fact, there are rumors that a beta is starting soon, so if I get into that, I'll be sure to tell you all about it. 
So, take it for what it's worth. In summary, like I said, I am enjoying current as of this video. The raid is impeccable as always. Titan foraging is out for now, which is good I think. I'm having fun with the visions. I'm just not sure for how long I'll be enjoying it, since I think a lot of this stuff doesn't have a lot of longevity, since it relies more on daily and weekly busy work, rather than hooking me on general good design. I hope you enjoyed it though for what it's worth, and I'll see you in the next one. Peace. Farewell for now, mortals. We hope you enjoyed today's video. See you again soon. In this video, we'll go over 10 things that appeared in the game's files, but never made it into the live version of the game for one reason or another. And starting off this list at number 10, we have the Island of Kaladar. Kaladar was the name Blizzard originally gave the island that the World Tree Teldrassil was going to be on top of. Once Teldrassil outgrew the island, they decided to build the city on top of it. But, there were plans for the island to still be called Kaladar anyway. Eventually though, Blizzard kind of retconned the name of the island, and just referred to it as Teldrassil at all times, even when not talking about the tree itself. But since the original name of the island was Kaladar, a lot of the map assets of the tree are referred to as belonging to the Zone of Kaladar, and a lot of the map assets are located in the folder called Kaladar on the WoW's client. And not only that, Kaladar was also the name of a battleground in Alpha WoW's testing, which never actually made it into the game. It seems Blizzard was 100% ready to go with the name Kaladar before they decided to just use Teldrassil for everything. In the Beta WoW and Alpha WoW clients, there existed two troll islands off the coast of Stranglethorn Vale, called the Island of Dr. Lapis and Gilajim's Island. Now, what's unique about both of these islands is that they were both basically done and were almost completely textured and full of trees, ruins, artifacts on the beach, and even a few houses and small abandoned towns and caves. Although, none of these textures were unique, which means they did eventually use everything on this island somewhere else in WoW. Now, considering both of these islands existed in lore and showed up a lot in the early WoW maps, it's a mystery as to why they were removed. But then again, a lot of stuff was removed for pretty mundane reasons, as we found out in the WoW Diary book which came out last year. In the Warlords of Draenor beta, a new battleground was added to the game files called Heroes Through Time. Based on a Twitter comment of someone asking the PvP director about the island, Blizzard stated that it was an idea they were experimenting with, but that they eventually decided not to go with it in Warlords. The map is structured very similar to most battleground maps, as it has basically mirrored maps on both sides of the island, with the top half looking like it probably belonged to the Alliance, as it's all clean and proper and green, with the bottom half looking like it was probably the Horde zone, with red buildings and a little bit more rough in its architecture. Not much more is known about this island though. And at number 7, we have the Stormwind Warrior District. In Cataclysm, Blizzard experimented with another version of Old Town that included a retextured version of Stormwind Keep. Since Blizzard had to redesign Stormwind to account for flying in Cataclysm, it's possible they were planning on adding another district to Stormwind, called the Warrior District. Although this portion of Stormwind went unused and was never fully developed, so it's most likely just an idea they were throwing about. One that they put a little bit more time and effort into than they usually would, considering it also made it into the game files. And at number 6, we have another unused battleground, and that's the defense of the Ale House. 
This battleground map made it into the game files during Mist of Pandaria in patch 5.2, and is a three-lane battleground which seems to take place in town long steps. Now, seeing as the name of the battleground is a pretty obvious reference to the defense of the ancients, which was the original name of Dota, it seems like this map was supposed to be a MOBA mode for a battleground. While I have no clue how a MOBA would work with WoW's gameplay and battleground mechanics, being a fan of the MOBA genre myself, I would have loved to have seen Blizzard attempt to do it anyway, although it seems like they have no intentions of coming back to this map, and sadly, they probably won't ever release it. And at number 5, we have the Undead Nerubian Beast model. With the Wrath of the Lich King beta, a new model is added to the game files simply named Undead Nerubian Beast. This model has 5 different color variations, but no animations, which is pretty standard for models added to the game files, but never actually used in the game. They don't usually waste time animating models they don't intend to use. Now, considering there are plenty of undead Nerubians in Wrath of the Lich King, it's pretty obvious why they made this, as it was probably a prototype for what the Nerubians were going to be in the game. And then they just ended up going with the models we actually got in the game instead. Although these could have just been another variation of them, but whatever the case, eventually they were scrapped and just never removed from the game files. And at number four, we have some unused voice files. It's pretty rare for them to have voice actors record lines they never intend to use, and in this instance, we have voice lines for Runas the Shamed. In NPC, players get to know very well while questing in Legion through the Azuna Zone. Now, in the questing zone, Runas is an NPC you come across as a wither trying to attack you. After you beat him up a little bit, he decides to help you out, and tells you about an invasion planned by a horde of other withers who want to attack the blue dragons and steal their mana. And during the quest chain, Runus constantly talks about how he would never think of betraying you. And at the very end, he keeps true to his word and dies due to his mana withdrawals. Now, with the unused voice lines of Runus, we get a different ending to this quest chain. In the voice lines, Runus talks about taking the Tidestone, attacking the blue dragons, and stealing all their mana crystals. Currently, Runus is remembered fondly because of what actually went down in game, where he helps players. So, I think it was a good move that they didn't go with the betrayal storyline, that these unused voice files hint were a planned option. The Tidestone. Such power. We will feast on the dragons instead. Sisters, brothers, the great mana crystal I promised lies in the pool above. Forget the Tidestone, brothers. Let the lizards and the lowborn have their crystal. Two can play at this game, except my touch actually hurts. Know your place or be put in it. If you don't stop, I'll drain every last drop of energy out of your corpse. Plebeian. Oh, the Nightborn are not what they seem. So sorry, my friends. I just couldn't help myself. And at number three, we have the Items of Proficiency. This was a series of items which would give extra skills in certain weapons, up to a maximum of plus 7 in that weapon skill, which is incredibly high. So basically, there are some items in the game that give random stats, and they generally fit to a kind of theme based on the name of that item. So an item of the bear, for example, would always have strength and stamina on it. An item named of the tiger would always have strength and agility and so on and so on. They would group up the stats based on arbitrary names. 
So they had random stats, but were always related to whatever they were named after. And sometimes would even be specific, like of shadow protection, which would give increased stamina and shadow resistance. And of proficiency items gave plus one through plus seven in all weapon skills. But these items were never actually added to the game. And there was a pair of gloves in Vanilla WoW that were incredibly sought after because they gave weapon skills. And I think these gloves gave plus seven weapon skills and three different weapons. So if these of proficiency items would have been added, they probably would have been very sought after, which is why they were probably never added. But these items were completely programmed into the game, so you could even create macros that would link to them, despite the fact that none of them actually existed. And at number two, we have some more unused voice files, and these are for Lorthamar and Romoth. There is a whole set of voice lines indicating that Romoth was supposed to be the traitor during the Cataclysm for the End Time Dungeon. During Cataclysm, there was a Twilight Cultist traitor in both the Horde and Alliance, who was feeding information to Deathwing, and caused a lot of problems in the Horde. On the Alliance side, the traitor ended up being Archbishop Benedictus, which was kind of a big deal as he was a major lore figure. So for the Horde side to be Romoth just kind of made sense in relation. Romoth, for those of you who don't know, is one of the few lore-important Blood Elf NPCs and is always accompanying Lorthamar, and is located in-game next to Lorthamar and Silvermoon. He has been involved in a lot of points in WoW, including being the NPC Horde players talk to during the purging of Dalaran scenario of Mista Pandaria, and he was also one of Kel'Thas' staunchest and most loyal supporters, but turned away from Kel'Thas and sided with Lorthamar instead when he found out how far Kel'Thas had fallen, which was a big deal for his character. So he was a morally good character who wanted the best for his people. And there's a reason why they changed his plan traitor status, because it didn't really fit with his pre-established lore. Now, the voice files themselves basically just have Lorthamar accusing Romoth of being the Twilight traitor, shows him proof, and then there's voice lines of them fighting each other. Romoth, you stand accused of high treason to Silvermoon and of being a member of the Twilight Council. Ah, the long knives come out. Is there proof to these accusations? This document. It's your handwriting. I'd recognize it anywhere. You leave me no choice, then. It's a pity, really. I had plans for our people. There is a war coming. And I've chosen to be on the winning side. You forced my hand a little early, perhaps. But I think you'll find I'm still playing from a position of strength! Feel my wrath! And at number one, we have the Wrath of the Lich King server first titles. Back in Wrath of the Lich King is when Blizzard added achievements to the game, including the idea of getting titles attached to your characters based on certain achievements. And there was a series of feat of strengths you can get in-game for being the first person on your server to hit max level, get the highest level and the newest level professions, and for being the first person to complete the Northrend Vanguard achievement, which was an achievement for getting exalted reputations with all of the Northrend reputations available at the beginning of the expansion. Getting server first in any of these three things would award you with the server first feat of strength, and a special title that only you would have. Like, for example, the first priest on the server to hit level 80 would get the Prophet title. The first Grandmaster Enchanter would get the Grandmaster Enchanter title. 
and the first Northrend Vanguard would get the Hero of Northrend title. And only that one person could get that one title per server. Now, there was a huge outcry in the forums over these titles. So during the beta, Blizzard removed the titles associated to these achievements and only left in the titles granted for getting the server first raid kills. People really didn't like the idea of only one person having an exclusive title. But were a little bit more okay with a group of people having an exclusive title for achieving a legitimately hard feat, like getting a server first raid kill. Eventually, Blizzard removed server first achievements altogether, but it seems like it was a neat idea to get an exclusive title like that. Alright, and that's the end of the video. I got a lot of information for this video from the website tcrf.net or the cutting room floor, which I'll have linked in the video description. And did you know? Only 29.7% of people who watch my videos are subscribed. So don't forget to subscribe for weekly videos just like this one. Thank you, Hero Marodex. I really like these things that we get to see hints of the options that they have as developers. Obviously, we don't get to see all the decision processes that they went through to eventually get to what to put into the game and what not to put into the game. I really like these things that could be considered bonus material in a way, once you find them, of course. I always was interested and still am interested in the bonus material making of content like movies, like Blu-rays, DVDs. I'm perfectly happy to pay more for a version that has behind-the-scenes stuff or bonus material in general. That's my take on this segment I really find fascinating. I would love to see a part two of that if there is something significant. I would like to talk to some devs or people that made those choices, like, for instance, Dave Kosak. I think would be a great person to talk to for the earlier stages of of the game. He is the dev that authored Edge of Night, the Dark Ladies short story, where we get the behind the scenes, again, so to speak, story that we don't get to see in the game of how she gets her Valkyrie and the story behind that, and that is a story that is becoming quite, I don't want to say important, but being pulled into the forefront again in some way, shape or form. When Shadowlands comes along and we get to deal with that black void that apparently is the Maw. So we're going to see what that turns into. I just wanted to mention it. Next up, we have Charm with her song Nyalotha. Normally, I don't watch the original if I don't know it before I watch or listen to a parody song. But in this case, I thought, why not? Because it was a curious title. You see, for the people that don't know Charm's WoW parody song, Nyalotha, the one that I'm going to play in a minute, yet it's based on a song by Billie Eilish. I think that's how you pronounce the name. 
and it's called Bury a Friend. It's kind of, again, it's a curious title and it's quite personal for me. I had to bury a friend when he committed suicide at the age of almost 19. So it was uh, something that was brought back to, to my mind quite vividly. And the video is interesting too, but yeah, I don't want to, to go into that place at the moment. I just wanted to see what what type of song Charm was, was using. And I must say, it's quite fitting. The eeriness and the theme of the song fits quite well with the with the nightmare, with all the things that are the corruption and Nyalotha and the old gods and all that. <laughs> and again, as upsetting to some as the video, the original video is, it kind of has the same vibe of upsetting, of problems, mental issues. It's, it's kind of interesting in that way. So good choice there. Charm. So here is Charm with Naya Lotha. What do you want from me? Visions are haunting me. Nightmares have been unleashed. Are we asleep? Deep in the city of madness and the old gods crawling to poisonous heart in Nyalotha. Come here. Of this world, what is it exactly? Full and succumb to the flames, riding in pain, I'm twisted in madness. Rising up from the sands, a statue that's deadly. The way it's drinking you down, like it wants to drown in the magic of enemies. Sanity breaks, see more than one. Reality shakes, try to wake up. Carving away, breaking the dream. Close to the edge. Trying to break me. Somebody wake me. Somebody, somebody, somebody wake me. Somebody, somebody, somebody. What do you want from me? Visions are haunting me. Nightmares have been unleashed. Are we asleep? Deep in the city of madness and the old gods Crawling to poisonous heart in Ayalotha Look up A dragon up top What had you expected? She will make you her toy Go play with the void cause now you're infected I'll meet you in the hive I'll be calm and collected But wills are wrestling hard I'm falling apart I'm being dissected A friend who defended us from all these different realms Honestly, I thought that he would be dead by now Don't make a sound, don't wake up the hungry hound What's he in enchanting with every cop should devour? It's just like a boil underneath the soil Cut a turf it out from its deep dark hole Then the limbs will grow and the power rose And my eyes won't close, my eyes won't close Careful It's hard, where is its head? Now he is here, now he is free. Goes to the edge. Somebody wake me.
Hi, I'm Hazel. Today I've got a guide on how to get the three alpaca mounts of 8.3, the spring fur alpaca, the elusive quick hoof, and molly. First up, the spring fur alpaca comes from the friendly alpaca in Oldham. Step one is to collect Gersal greens. You'll need seven in total, but just one's fine to get started. The greens spawn through here, along the riverbank in Oldham, and they look like this. If you have herbalism, you'll see them on your minimap, but you don't have to have herb to gather them. They're pretty easy to find, so I'd just stock up once and then keep them on you. Next, you'll need to find the friendly alpaca. It'll spawn in one of these spots around Oldham. It only stays for about 5 minutes or so once it's up, but the respawn is pretty quick at 5 to 10 minutes. Keep an eye on the group finder for raids that have found it or are searching for the friendly alpaca. A group can just park people on every spawn point and then call out when and where it spawns. Once you've found the alpaca, complete its daily quest by feeding it some greens. You can do this once per day and you need to do it 7 times to get them out. Don't worry about skipping days, that's fine. It's 7 times total, not necessarily in a row. To track your progress, you can type this script into your chat log and press enter. I'll put it in the description in case you want to copy-paste. It'll print out a counter of how many times that you fed the alpaca so you know when to get excited. Next up is the elusive quick hoof. This one also involves finding and feeding a rare alpaca, with a few important differences. One, this alpaca eats seaside leafy greens. It does not require organic hand-harvested farm-to-table produce. You can get these off a vendor. Alliance can buy them from Scrollmaster Euro here in Boralus above the island expedition vendors. Horde can get them from Keto over here in Dizarlor. There's also like a dozen more vendors that have them as well as your friendly neighborhood Brutosaurs. Difference 2. This one spawns in Vuldoon, and it can patrol around some. The NPC name is Elusive Quickhoof, so pop that into a targeting macro and spam away. These are the known locations. It reportedly has a much longer spawn time of 6-ish hours, so you may be in for a wait. And 3. The good news is that you only need to find it once. Feed it one singular seaside leafy greens and it's yours. While camping, I once again recommend either waiting in a group so that you can park people on each spawn point, or at least keep an eye on the group finder for the kind souls that have found it. Our final alpaca mount is Molly. This one will be either by far the easiest or hardest one to get, depending purely on how lucky you are. Molly has a chance to drop off of Dune Gorger Crowlock, the Voldoon world boss. The BFA world bosses are on a six week rotation, so you get one chance per 120 character every six weeks. We don't know what the drop rate is exactly yet, but reports are estimating it in the ballpark of 1%. The best thing that you can do is kill him whenever he's up on as many 120 alts as you can. I got quite lucky and got it on my 10th try. If you're not doing anything else with a 120 alt, you could even leave it out there in Voldoon to save on travel time. And those are the three alpaca mounts of 8.3. You might be in for a farm, but the mount special makes all of this worth it. And if that didn't sell you, have you seen its back legs when it jumps? It's ridiculous. Thanks for watching, share your camping anecdotes below, and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Bye. Thank you, Hazel. 
And like I said at the beginning, you might want to have a look at her video to see the spawn points of the alpacas and where to get the respective herbs and all that stuff. So go look at the show notes for the link to her segment. I'm really happy that Blizzard came up with a three-step system, so to speak, where you can basically get one mount with too much problems or effort and the next one is a little more involved and then the third one is a little more involved than that with regards to work and dedication unless the dedication beats you all together and you get it on one of the first drops the one that you get from the world boss in Fortune. so yeah good luck in chasing those alpaca mounts and this brings us to the end of the show i would like to thank the contributors for the show today episode 110 we have that season show we have hero maradex we have charm and hazel and to end the show we have the longest segment of the day i thought i might put it at the end Normally I put novels segment further towards the beginning because they are the longer ones. But I thought why not change it up a bit this time. So to end the show today we have Novel 87's lore segment on Rokan, the Dark Spear Troll. So thank you very much everyone for listening. I really appreciate it and I hope to see you in episode 111. Bye everyone. I hope you have enjoyed your time with the Forsaken of Corpse Run Radio this episode. Should you have an idea for a little segment of your own, I would love for you to become part of the cast. Or if you are a creator of Warcraft original or parody music and would like to be featured on the show, contact us at mail at gmail.com or on Twitter at Corpse Run Radio. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio. Contact information for our contributors is available on our website, crr.podbean.com, along with the links for the segments played on the episode and other information. Corpse Run Radio is a non-profit fan podcast. All segments, music, and sound effects are used with permission. Hello everyone! After 14's death, the Darkspear tribe, it found itself without a leader. And it's Rokan, another shadow hunter that stepped up to the plate. Being a shadow hunter, it means that you are a powerful force to definitely keep an eye on, with a close connection to the Loa. Powerful beings that can grant great boons when they favor you, but also a little bit risky to deal with, as some of them love to play tricks. Masters of Voodoo and Shadow, Rokan now represents his tribe within the new council amongst the hordes. Not a bad choice either, as Rokan has been with them since the very beginning. The moment that the Dark Spears joined the hordes. This takes us back to Warcraft 3, where we see young Warchief Thrall lead his people on a mission given to him by the Guardian Medivh. The Legion is coming, and the world is going to need their strength to stand up against it. Not only do the orcs follow Thrall, there's also Cairn and his Tauren, as well as Vol'jin and the Darkspears. 
their unity. Together with the humans, elves and so many others, it accomplished the near impossible. The Legion's invasion was indeed stopped and another day was earned for Azeroth. And their allegiance, it worked out so well that Vral and Jaina Proudmoore, they decided to keep it going. There might be a lot of dark history between the Alliance and the Hordes, but perhaps by working together, they can show the world that it is possible to put all of that behind them. Whereas Jaina set a base at Vedamor, Vral and the Hordes, they build up Orgrimmar. But the founding of such a capital, it does not come without its problems. Enter Rexar. We've built this kingdom, Duratar, for all of our kind. Duratar is as much your home as it is mine, Rexar. Stay a while. Accept what hospitality we can offer. It is the least we can do. Perhaps I have spent too long in the wilds. Your offer is kind, Thrall. But I must carry my own weight. Just show me what needs doing and I'll earn my keep. <laughs> I understand. Founding a nation is tiresome work. And there are many around here that could use your help. Simply talk to them, and they will point you in the right direction. This is Rokan of the Darkspear tribe. He is one of my best scouts. How you doing, man? Together, they help out wherever it's needed. Like Gaslo and his workers blowing up some stuff. Drekvar dealing with the local thunder lizards, or the hostile harpies, not down with the orcs settling in their lands. It was foolish of you to come here. We are not afraid of you orcs. We won't let you chase us out of our lands. I never intended to chase you out. I intend to bury you here. <laughs> Sweet. And while Thrall and Jaina might be all for putting the paws behind them, Others, like her father, Dalen Proudmoore, who fought for the safety of the world during the first Horde invasion, they have a bit more trouble with letting go of the past. This anchor emblem on their shields. Have you ever seen it before? Orcs! We've been followed! To arms, men! To arms! Come, human dogs! Taste the wrath of the Horde! Make me curve! All you could, my warriors. Above all else, you kept Duratar safe. Yet this anchor sigil you described does seem oddly familiar. I just can't place it. Pardon, boss man, but if the humans be coming from the sea, my tribe on the Echo Isles could be deep in the danger too. Don't worry, Rokan. You have my word that I won't let anything happen to your people. You might have noticed that by now, Chen Stormstout has also joined their party. These powerful warriors, they help evacuate and relocate the Darkspear trolls and figure out what is going on. Turns out that it's not Jaina that has broken their agreement, it's her father. With the idea of actually rescuing his daughter, she tries to explain to him that Vral and his hordes, they're not the same ones as he fought in the war. She explains that they stood side by side against the might of the Legion and actually won. But her father refuses to listen, and so, the daughter of the sea, she helps Rokan and their party escape the city, even stepped to the side as they entered Ferramor and ended her father's life. Duratar is now safe. We have no further quarrel with these humans. We will leave your isle in peace, Jenna. I pray we never have to come here again. Farewell, Sorceress. A high price to pay to keep their peace going. 
but the price paid all the same. Rokan, he kept on doing what a shadow hunter does best. He remained in the shadows. Offer advice where it was needed. Scout for the warchief. Present during Classic and the Burning Crusade, but no real major part to play. During Wrath the Lich King, heroes were asked to help him with slaying the Frostworm Saravastra. He wondered what these champions fought to accomplish, where he himself had failed, but they surprised Rokan and returned with a frozen heart. He was there when Malfurion Stormrage fought against the Fred of the Nightmare. Not the one that we saw during the Expansion Legion. That was the second time that it came around. This was in the novel Stormrage, where heroes of the world, they were called upon by the Archdruids to stand with them against the Nightmare. Some answered his call, but others didn't. In the case of Rokan, we read about the Troll Scouts leading a band of his people that are trapped outside the Orc capital, leading them to safety. And due to Azeroth's efforts, the Nightmare would be pushed back to come around again at a later time, while his chieftain Vol'jin was eventually appointed to be the new warchief. As Garrett Hellscream, he proved to be a threat to not only the Alliance, but the Horde itself as well. Placed on trial, the orc was busted out of jail with the help of the Black Dragon Raphion and the Bronze Dragon Kairos Dormu. They traveled to an altered reality. With the plan of having Garage form a brand new horde, have that horde stand with us against the coming legion. A plan that didn't work out too well, as Hellscream, he had no intention to be controlled. He did indeed form this new horde, the Iron Horde, but not for the defense of Azeroth, but to conquer it. The Dark Portal turned red, and the Iron Horde tried to come in to claim the world. Yet Azeroth, over the years, it had grown very strong, and we quickly managed to push them back leaving behind our world and reality to venture into another. Warchief Vol'jin, he stayed behind and only really showed up to congratulate us on our beautiful built garrison. Thankfully, Rokan and a couple of the Shadow Hunters, they were sent our way to be our eyes and ears in this unfamiliar place. And while we dealt with the threats of the Iron Horde, eventually the Legion and whatever else Drenor had to throw at us, Rokan, he made sure to inform us, update us on the lay of the land, and threats that our followers could take care of. And it was really cool to see that the Shadowhunters, they were taking a bit more of a prominent role amongst the hordes. We really felt like it was a taste of things to come with Vol'jin in charge. But sadly, it, it wouldn't last, as they decided to kill him off in the next expansion. On the broken shore, the warchief found his demise at the hands of the demons. And the spirits, they whispered him a name, the one to pick up the mantle of leadership, the name Sylvanas Windrunner. Vol'jin is dead. Who among you will help me avenge him? And while the Horde cheered her on, they had no idea about her true plans. Her deal with the Jailer, sending souls to the Maw and obtaining more power. Unaware of the real threat amongst them, champions of the Horde, they rose up and formed the Order Halls. They claimed powerful artifacts and forces, even flew out into the Great Dark Beyond, where they defeated the Burning Legion. Vengeance for Vol'jin, and with their leader gone. It's Rokan that stepped out of the shadows and became a more prominent figure. You might have noticed how so far he's been more of a side character. He was there playing a role in other people's stories. But then Battle for Azeroth rolled around and his skills were very much needed. You see, there was Princess Talanji, daughter to King Rastakan of the Zandalai Trolls. 
she's reached out to the horde as her people face threats that requires their aid. In turn, the horde can always use more allies, especially during the war against the alliance. And somewhere en route, the princess has been taken captive by the alliance. So, Nefanos, Rokan, and first Arcanist Velisra. They embark on their dangerous infiltration of the city. Not just the princess is set free. There's also Prophet Zul, who once upon a time offered Vol'jin to join them in their conquest of the world. The leader of the Darkspears was wise enough back then to reject that offer. The Horde is his family after all, but now Rokan, he has no time to debate. They have to escape the city as fast as they can. And having someone with you, they can predict the future. It definitely makes such a mission quite a lot easier. Wait here. Lassan! You clever moose, man! I need 20 of those birds. As we all know by now, Zul wasn't loyal to Rastikan, and the threats that Talunji saw all around them, they were very much real. Zul's plan is to release the artificially created old god Cahoon from his prison in Uldir. To do so, he will have to release the monstrosity known as Mifrax in the lands of Uldun and have his forces assault the great capital of the Zandalari to break their final seal. Forces like the Blood Trolls of Nazmir, a land that was once a lush jungle but has started to sink ever since Deathwing broke out of the world. The Blood Trolls, they have pledged themselves to Cahoon and by extension to Zul. Their incursions have been overlooked for long enough. Easy now, princess. Hey, we best be taking this slow. I need to scout the area and come up with a plan. You give wise counsel, Rokan. But now is the time for action, not delay. These blood trolls must be stopped. Rokan will take our forces and set a base nearby. But he warns us to be careful. Talanji hears him, but at the same time, the blood trolls, they're sacrificing our people to dark, bloody rituals. They have to be made to pay. But after confronting Grandmother Athena, their leader's power is shown to us. By the Loa. No! Now we see the true power of the blood trolls. Oh, father, why did you ignore them for so long? I knew the blood trolls were a threat, but I never imagined this. If that monstrosity is freed, it will mean the end of Zuldazar. We are getting out of here. We need to move. Hold on. <laughs> Run, little princess. Nothing gonna save you from me, master. Cahoon gonna eat you up! I do not fear you or your monsters. You will all die by my hand! They are not following us. Looks like we are in the clear. If they free that monster, the blood trolls will be unstoppable. Even with you and the horde on our side, it will not be enough. We need a new plan. We need more power to stop the blood trolls. 
There is but one option. The Loa of Nazmir. The Loa? They be ancient, powerful beings, princess. How do you know if any are even in this swamp? Nazmir is a cursed place, but one where the Loa rest. Stand back. I will find out which of them is here. There, Toga, the turtle Loa. He is benevolent and wise. I know he will help us. Let us see who else is here. The frog Loa, Kragwa. He is in Nazmir. Kragwa is a strong Loa who will not tolerate the evil of the blood trolls. Ah, Hyrik, the bat Loa. He must be somewhere in Nazmir. That cunning Loa will know how to stop this. Wansamdi, the Loa of Death, a powerful Loa, but crafty and dangerous, always making deals. I feel his power. He is close, closer than all the other Loa. So we're gonna make a deal with the Loa of Death, the Turtle Loa, the Bat Loa, and the Frog Loa, all to stop the Blood Trolls. This is the only way to save my people, Rokan. I am willing to give up everything for their safety. Are you with me? I be in, princess. To the very end. Zandala forever. Y'all heard the princess. We got a goal. Weaken the blood trolls and earn the favor of these Loa. Go out into the swamp and do whatever you can to help the princess and our champion fight the blood trolls. This place is where being a shadow hunter is quite handy, as the swamps of Nasmir, they're home to some incredibly powerful Loa. Earning their favor and their aid, not to mention the arrival of the Cop Squad, is what allows us to overcome this threat of the blood trolls, push Talok down into Uldir, and buy Zandalar just a little bit more time. After all, Cahoon is still out there, and with Zul's foreseen plans coming nicely together, Mifrex is released, Rastakan and his forces are weakened, the blood trolls, they swarm out in numbers and charge the blood gates, making their way to that final seal. And despite Talunji, Rokan and our forces trying to do everything in our power to hold them back, it's simply too much. Their king loves their people, he loves his daughter, and he will do anything it takes to save their kingdom, including making a deal with Samdi, the Loa of Death. If you do this for me, I will bind my bloodline to you. All who succeed you will keep this bargain to serve me in life and in death forever. We got a deal. And while Bonsamdi's aid, it did allow Rastakan to murder Zul. The seal, it's still broken. Cahoon was released, Zul even made a return in Uldir, which meant that we had to gather our forces and venture forth, take out this blood god. As you can see, the allegiance between the Zandalari and the Hordes, it led to some amazing things, and while their lands were safer for it, it did not come without a price. The Warchief is in the midst of the fourth war with the Alliance. Battles are taking place across the world, like the battle for Stromgard, in which the Horde and Alliance they try to claim dominance. Eva Rokan can show up to lead the charge, constantly rotating as to who holds the keep. 
And whereas the Horde prefers to do their battles with honor, the Dark Lady, she cares little about it or the people of the faction. She cares about the results and she doesn't mind allying with forces that some might find a bit dodgy. As we can see during the Alliance War campaign, the Horde is allied with the Sen Lane, led by Blood Prince Revan. They were once Blood Elves, converted by the Lich King, and these guys, they found themselves without a home and have been given a chance to make one amongst the Hordes. Revan is having a little bit of trouble though, dealing with the hierarchy of the faction. An order given by Rokan, it seems beneath him. Why should he follow orders from this troll? But brother, Rokan outranks you, and you best do what he says, or you're out on the streets. Hard to say if the Sand Lanes at this point in time are still amongst the Hordes. Not only did the Alliance take care of the leader, Sylvanus is also gone. But who knows, maybe a potential allied race for the future. Rokan's journey, however, it kept them nice and close to Talanji, as the Alliance, they finished up the preparations and made ready to attack the Zara Lor. Last time, getting even close to the Zandalari capital, it meant the destruction of the Alliance fleet. But this time, they've done their homework. Some bombs are planted ahead of time. On top of that, force in Nashmir, they make it look like the Alliance wants to invade from the swamp. Reports have Rokan bravely holding the line by himself. This city is drawn empty of some of their greatest warriors. And while Rokan is saved and this small Alliance assault force is defeated, the real threat is back home. For some reason, the Alliance expected King Rastakhan to surrender. A possibility to negotiate removing the Zandalari from the Horde ranks, remove a powerful ally and get that much closer to a victory for the Alliance. Quite the opposite happened though. The king, he fought on till the bitter end, and that bargain that he made with Bonsamdi, it's been passed on to his daughter. The responsibility of leading their people now rests upon her shoulders. If she's found worthy, there's a special ceremony that takes place where the Loa are going to judge the princess. Rokan has been honored with an invitation to witness this. They've spoken about her future and that of the Zandalari. It's his hope that she's going to see that our people are bound to one another, that we'll be stronger together than when we are apart. Perhaps we can convince her where he did not. It has been centuries since our people have crowned a new ruler. To claim her throne, Talanji must undergo our most sacred rite. Her spirit will be weighed and measured in the eyes of the Loa. I have a special role in mind for you, champion. You will act as my witness. If I am found wanting, my people will hear of the Loa's decision from you. They be sure to find you worthy, princess. But not all are down with having a ruler that has Bonsamdi lurking behind her in the shadows. Her choices of making allegiance with the Hordes, while definitely beneficial in some ways, it also led to war and death, one that they weren't part of at the start. There's a bit of unrest amongst her subjects, and while the Loa judge her, an interesting offer is made by Bonsamdi. Bring me the head of the Horde's war chief, and I be forgetting all about your father's bargain. Oh, by the Loa. No, the Horde stood beside us when all seemed lost. I will not repay them with betrayal. That's your final answer? It is. 
My freedom is not worth my honor. Is this a test from Orbo and Sandy to see if she's loyal? Or did he really want Sylvanas dead, considering the threat that she poses to the afterlife, to the Shadowlands? Who knows? Either way, Talanji is accepted as their new queen. Well, in the corner, we can see the spirit of good old Vol'jin. You might wonder how he showed up here, but there was an earlier question that had us help out Rokan, which lets to... Come back if you need. I gotta borrow the champion for a bit. An old enemy somehow escaped one Samdi, and now be threatening my home. My dear Rokan, the Darkspear tribe has more than earned the aid of the Zandalari. I will join you to help as I can. This enemy is Elazane, former friend of Vol'jin, who lost his mind and enslaved their people. We took care of him before, sent him on his way to Monsamdi, but he has escaped the grass of the Loa, which causes quite a bit of trouble. We'll need a weapon capable of hurting him. Vol'jin's glaive, to be precise. Even in death, the Shadow Hunter watches over us. Such a mighty spirit, it deserves a place of honor to rest. A tall desire itself. A great idea from Talanji, but Bonzamdi doesn't agree. Dead spirit, it belongs to him. Yet surprisingly, this spirit is nowhere to be found. No! No! Impossible! The boss ain't gonna like this. Old Bonzamdi not been losing a spirit and all oh, this be bad. With the aid of those close to him in life, namely Rokan and Master Gedrin, who's the chief witch doctor of the tribe and mentor to Vol'jin, we're able to get in touch with the spirits, and it's clear that there's something going on in the Shadowlands. So who better to ask than people closely connected to the afterlife, Ponsamdi, Eir, and the Lich King. But none of them can really explain what is happening. Vol'jin has been touched by Valor turned into something more than he was. And those spirits that he listened to, those spirits that told him the name Windrunner, they were not the Loa at all. She's been threatening the balance. And those of you that have seen last week's video have kept up with the story. You know that this whole war, leading the horde as the war chief, all smoke emitters. In truth, Sylvanas is in league with a being called the Jailer, and she's been sending souls to the Maw. This in turn has greatly empowered her. Enough so that when the world rose up against her, Rokan joining the Saurfang Rebellion, she one-shotted the mighty orc in Makora and then abandoned the hordes. They're nothing to her. All of them. She doesn't need them any longer. And she has enough power to take on Bolvar the Lich King, rip the veil between this world and the next. Which leaves the horde once again without a warchief. And the question's been asked, do they even need one? There are now so many new allies in the faction, new voices that deserve to be heard. There is no longer going to be a war chief in this time of peace. They're going with a council. And on that council, there is Rokan, leading and speaking for the Darkspear tribe, standing with the Horde as he has done ever since the beginning. And time will tell what the future is going to bring for not only Rokan or the Darkspear tribe, but for Azeroth as a whole. Princess Talanji, she is still in league with Bonsamdi who we know is going to have his very own dungeon in the next expansion. There's also an upcoming book, which is called Shadows Rising. This will be somewhat of a prelude into the next expansion. For those interested, I'll post a link in the description down below if you want a small taste of what's to come. Safe to say that the adventures of Rokan, Vol'jin, Bonsamdi and Talanji, they're far from over.
But for now, I think I've been going on for long enough. So thank you very much for watching, everyone. For next week, we might be doing the story of Chandris Vermoon, or perhaps we're gonna do the story of the Traveler, as I found out that part 3 has apparently been released for quite a bit now. I still need to read it, so it kinda depends how the schedule goes. But for now, it's time, it's time to say goodbye. Have a wonderful Monday, subscribe if you like my videos, leave a like if you enjoyed this one, you know the spiel. Until next time, guys. See ya! Thank you for listening. Now go out, my minions. Let nothing stand in your way. Until next time.